Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Welcome everybody to the podcast. So today I'm going to be recording a solo podcast uh, discussing something that I am really passionate about, as well as uh, some exciting news about some things we are launching at the clinic. Um, So today we're going to be talking about pregnancy and preparing for labor and delivery and how pelvic floor physiotherapy can help you along this journey. So here's the thing. I believe that women and or uh, birthing individuals deserve to have a great pregnancy journey, birth and optimized recovery. And because I believe that, uh, I really want to help as many individuals as I possibly can um, and I've gotten a little bit, I would say, fired up um, yesterday because I had kind of an incident, which just further um, shows me that this is something that is needed. So I had a uh, lady call a couple days ago and she was telling me that she's experiencing extreme pain um, sort of in her pelvis and you know, it was impacting her ability to walk, it was impacting her ability to go up the stairs and move around. And um, so we scheduled an appointment uh, to do an assessment and um, give her some treatment for that. And uh, when I re- when I got to work yesterday, I saw a note from our administrator saying that she had called and wasn't sure if she was going to come to the appointment because her doctor told her that she's pregnant and pain is normal during pregnancy. And, um, but she said that she might still still attend. Um, and then she ended up not showing up. And that kind of fired me up because just because you are pregnant does not mean you should live with pain. That's not a great pregnancy journey, pregnancy experience, right? Like that impacts people's lives. It impacts people's ability to work. And, you know, especially if they have other children they're caring for. So I was really fired up by this because, you know, the physician basically said you don't need physio. Um, So I'm, you know, I'm certainly really curious as to what solution they were offering other than, well, just live with it. Um, And so really, a lot of my messaging to women, and especially for postpartum women, is like, just because you had a baby does not mean you should live with pain. It does not mean you should live with bladder leakage or passing gas when you don't want to. Um, And I have women coming into the clinics that will oftentimes say to me like, oh, uh, you know, I didn't come in for treatment for so long because I just thought it was normal 
to experience these things um, after giving birth. And just because something is common does not necessarily make it normal. And, you know, I'm a strong proponent of saying, okay, well, let's see if we can improve this situation. Let's see if we can fix it. Let's see if we can optimize your experience. Let's optimize your health. So I'm really, really passionate about, you know, basically like just because you're experiencing something because you're pregnant or just had a baby does not necessarily mean that you need to live your life that way. So after that incident, I was like, okay, I got to get on here and I need to, I need to talk about, you know, pelvic floor physiotherapy is so helpful, um, especially if you're having a problem, but also as an optimization of our health quality of life and all other aspects of our life, to be frank, right? Like, and and it just bothers me that we are undervalued and um, sometimes even undermined. Um, in France, for example, you know, every woman who gives birth, the government pays for, I think like up to 12 sessions of pelvic floor physiotherapy because they see the value of prevention, um, but also of rehabilitation. Now, I would argue that it would be uh, really helpful to uh, begin some of those sessions during pregnancy so, you know, a woman can feel how her pelvic floor moves, um, you know, and optimize the uh, laboring experience so that maybe perhaps some of the damage that occurs during uh, labor and delivery um, is minimized. But it also gives women a, a comparison of what it felt like before what it feels like after and gives them some sense of control and autonomy over like, okay, yeah, something feels really different. And okay, I know what I need to do. And I know there's help I can get that they can start that, that journey of recovery and optimization, you know, right away, rather than waiting, you know, seven, 10, 20 years later to be looking at this, uh, at this problem. So I'm basically here to say we deserve better. And uh, that's why I've been working um, on creating this pregnancy protocol to basically try to cover all the bases of information um, to help you in this journey. And let me, I'm gonna get into a bit of the statistics um, that, you know, when I started researching about pregnancy as it relates to pain, urinary incontinence, uh, pelvic organ prolapse, uh, sexual pain, you know, the statistics were, I was just like, this is bothersome to me. And I feel like, you know, if I can just help even a small portion of women, um, then I'm going to feel successful in my, in my professional career. So here's the deal. 45% of women will experience pain at some point in their pregnancy. Now, this is just a statistic coming from one study, and I mean, I may be perhaps biased in the sense that, of course, um, you know, people are coming in with a problem, so certainly I see that percentage being much higher. Um, And I've even experienced pelvic girdle pain during my pregnancy. I had two episodes of it and um, was successfully able to basically resolve that pain, um, which was great for my pregnancy. I had such a positive pregnancy and I just really want that for, for others. So, so yeah, so, you know, if almost half of women 
will experience some kind of pain during their pregnancy, you know, to say to them like, well, you're pregnant, you know, like, like when you deliver the baby, it'll be fine. But what about their whole journey and experience of that pregnancy? You know, like just trying to deal with this. So I'm here to say that there is some really great and effective treatment that we can do for your pain. You don't have to just live with it until you give birth. Um, and again, just because it's common does not mean it's normal. Okay, so that's kind of um, related to, to pain during pregnancy. Let's talk about urinary incontinence because this is something I see women for um, quite frequently. So I was looking at... Um, a Cochrane review. So in the realm of evidence-based practice, um, sort of Cochrane reviews are like kind of like the gold standard of um, a scientific research. So what they basically do is they took they take a look at all the possible studies that have been done on this particular topic, and then they take all the statistics and then they run statistical analysis to basically. Um, you know, make uh, overarching statements about either the effectiveness of um, a treatment protocol um, or like the prevalence. And so I was reading uh, a study and in there they said that at least one third of women will experience urinary incontinence in the second and third trimester. You know, we're growing a baby inside and our organs are moving to make space for the baby and there's extra weight and there's extra pressure, you know, on our pelvic floor muscles that, you know, if we perhaps don't know how to use those muscles optimally um, or just the muscles might not be strong enough to handle this additional load, um, and so urinary, urinary leakage occurs, right? Um, and there's something that we can do about it, right? You don't have to, again, wait till uh, you give birth for it to resolve. And oftentimes, um, at least one third of women will continue to leak urine in the first three months postpartum, right? So we can start addressing this earlier and hopefully helping you resolve the problem quicker after giving birth. Okay. So, another stat, one quarter of women will pass gas or stool in their late pregnancy. And this could be super distressing, right? Like if you're at work, um, if you're out with friends, if you're, you know, leaving the home and all of a sudden, like you can't control your gas or stool, like it can be very embarrassing and and creates a lot of social anxiety, um, social isolation, um, and all sorts of other um, negative health consequences, including emotional mental health consequences. Um, and so of the one third that, um, sorry, not one third, one fourth, that experience it in pregnancy, at least one fifth will leak gas or stool up to one year after birth right? This is, this is distressing. Like this is, you know, this is really impacting somebody's quality of life. And there's so much that we can do um, to help you resolve those issues. So then I, um, you know, was doing a research project for um, a group of physicians. And um, in that research, I was looking at 
the Canadian Continents Foundation. So these are statistics from 2017. So, you know, a couple years back, but I think still relevant. Um, and they estimated that 3.3 million Canadians experience urinary incontinence. So that's one in three women will leak urine, whether coughing, sneezing, laughing, jumping, um, exercising, um, or when they suddenly get an urge that they have to go pee, they don't quite make it. That's, that's a lot of women. That's a lot of urinary um, and bladder products, right? That's, that can get expensive. And, you know, women stop exercising because they're leaking, um, which has its own negative health consequences. Uh, you know, again, we can do better. So I looked at, like, I like to have numbers and statistics. So I looked at another study. Um, it was done in 2000. So it's about 20 years old, but they they surveyed um, 34,000 women in Norway. And they were screening to see how prevalent uh, urinary incontinence was across age groups. And did you know that at least 10% of those women between the ages of 20 and 24 had urinary incontinence? Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that they've had children because... You can have urinary leakage without um, being pregnant or giving birth. But oftentimes women will assume like, oh, urinary incontinence is, you know, something uh, you get when you're like 60, 65 or older. Um, but in fact, 10% between ages of 20, 24 leak urine. It's about somewhere approximately 14% between the ages of 25 and 29 18% between the ages of 30, 34, 22% between the ages of 35 and 39, 24% between the ages of 40, 44, 27% from the ages of 45 to 49, and 30% between the ages of 50, 54. And the reason I just wanted to sort of highlight this is that, you know, we do see an increased prevalence with age for sure, um, you know, there's an increased prevalence of urinary incontinence um, if you give birth, um, you know, but these things are, these things can be addressed. So then, um, so, you know, when you think about the number of people who are, you know, experiencing this and, you know, a number of those women think, you know, think it's normal, um, and then aren't doing anything until years later they find out they could have done something and are super upset that nobody told them sooner. And that's actually something um, that got me really interested in researching the whole, um, um, you know, helping women during, um, during pregnancy was that I was seeing so many women you know, postpartum and, you know, we would go through our assessment and I'd educate them about their pelvic floor, give them their exercises. And they would usually leave that session saying, I wish I had known sooner. And it didn't really strike me, you know, the first one or two times I heard that. 
But then I just started hearing it more and more often. And I said, okay, something, something's got to change here. Um, because if all of these women are saying, I wish I had known sooner, I thought to myself, okay, well, how soon can I start educating women about this? And I figured, you know, during pregnancy was a good time um, because, you know, most women are thinking about how they're going to deliver and what it's going to do and, you know, what's going to happen in that birthing process um, to their pelvic floor. So so I figured that was a good time to start educating uh, women. And then I started, um, you know, offering sort of assessments for prenatal women who were experiencing pain and leakage. And then I was like, you know, we can also use pelvic floor physiotherapy for prevention. And so I started offering it to women who wanted to prepare for labor and delivery, um, really for the purpose that, you know, they would be able to begin their pelvic floor exercises safely in the early postpartum rather than having to, you know, wait six weeks till everything's healed before they can even begin. So if they knew what to do, because we did the prenatal appointment, they would be able to begin those exercises earlier. Um, so another um, statistic that, um, you know, we want to be cognizant of as it relates to childbirth is pelvic organ prolapse. You know, a lot of women um, haven't heard of this or unaware of it um, until it sort of becomes a problem. So pelvic organ prolapse is when either the bladder, the uterus, or the rectum begins to push into or fall into the vaginal canal. So the tissues, like the walls of the, um, you know, vagina, uh, become stretched with childbirth, and this can create um, flexibility in the tissue that the organs then sort of press down on those tissues and uh, can put pressure um, on the vaginal canal as well as the vaginal opening. And uh, so I was looking uh, at a study because I needed some statistics um, for the physician uh, presentation I was doing. And um, this study was uh, not necessarily because women were coming in reporting pelvic organ prolapse sy symptoms. They were just going in for their annual checkup. And um, what they basically found was a very wide range of women who were coming in who actually had pelvic organ prolapse. So they, they gave this like wild, crazy range of like 32 to 98% of women, um, middle-aged or older, uh, were found to have some degree of pelvic organ prolapse. Now, the reason um, that range is so big from 32 to 98 is that... Um, Different physicians um, may use different metrics um, or ways of assessing prolapse. Um, so that's why it makes it wide ranging uh, in terms of like how many women. Um, and so what so what they found was, okay, so they came in, they had their um, they had their assessment done. It was noted that they had some degree of pelvic organ prolapse. And only four to ten percent of those women, you know, actually reported symptoms. And this is just sort of important to note that, you know, oftentimes um, 
pelvic organ prolapse will go unnoticed in the sense that there you may not feel it. Um, you know, not not a lot of women sort of look at their vulvas after giving birth, so might not notice that things look a little bit different. Um, and so they sort of, you know, continue with exercises or return to, um, you know, high impact exercise or, you know, suffer from chronic constipation that they don't understand um, is a risk factor for worsening um, pelvic organ prolapse. Um, and that age does uh, play a role. Hormones definitely play a role. So, you know, women will have pelvic organ prolapse, but won't start to become symptomatic till menopause when the hormones start to change. Um, and then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, where did, you know, where did this organ come from? And um, so of the women in this um, study that did report symptoms, 75% of them reported profound impacts on their quality of life, right? Like there's nothing great about feeling like one of your organs wants to fall out. Um, and certainly if one of them begins to protrude past the vaginal opening, and oftentimes, you know, once it gets to a certain point, um, it, it requires either an external support device or a surgical procedure to be done. And so I sort of felt like, you know, we sort of, expect to see some degree of prolapse after giving a vaginal birth. And it's like, if women are sort of unaware that like, hey, things are a little bit looser and may have shifted, then they don't have the information and the knowledge to take preventative action. You know, things like, you know, making sure your pelvic floor is strong, addressing dietary and, um, you know, constipation, toileting, um, making modifications to their exercise programs, um, using external supports so that they can do higher impact exercises with reducing the risk of stretching sort of uh, the structures that are supporting that organ even further. Um, so, you know, if we can start getting women to think about their pelvic floors, give them the information that they need, um, then they're gonna be more likely to recover um, more optimally, will have the knowledge to support their organs better, and this may have um, really positive impacts on quality of life later, but also on um, sort of the need for medical procedures later on in life. Um, so again, really important for us to kind of get to know what's going on down there um, and sort of the sooner the better. And then lastly, um, the other piece that makes pelvic floor physiotherapy so important for women um, during pregnancy and afterwards is that a lot of women report sexual pain postpartum. I mean, I, I don't commonly see too much uh, complaints of sexual pain um, like during pregnancy other than like it becomes awkward for positioning and you know um, there's more like um, the mental aspect of you know whether or not to engage um, in sex during you know during pregnancy um, so I don't see it too often uh, reports of pain um, but postpartum uh, so again you know I, I'm very you know, research-based, and I like my I like my numbers. Um, so I was looking at another study on uh, postpartum sexual pain, and 60% of women 
have pain with intercourse in the first three months. That number drops down to about 30% six months postpartum and 12 months, uh, sorry, and 12% at 12 months continue to experience pain with intercourse. Um, Again, this has really profound impacts on our quality of life as well as our health quality of life. It can impact our um, relationships and whether or not we have children, more children. Um, So these are really, really important things for us to be addressing. And most often, um, sexual pain is related to tears and episiotomies. So again, um, one of the foundation or one of the things um, that's part that I've included as part of um, my protocol is, um, you know, perineal stretching, uh, perineal massage techniques. And um, I was looking at a review study that sort of um, combined the results of 4,000 participants that showed um, perineal stretching reduces second and third can reduce um, second and third degree tears. Um, So if we can help, you know, women prepare their perineum, get to know their pelvic floor, and most importantly, um, teach them about pain and reduce their fears um, will help with them being able to relax their pelvic floors and um, teaching them proper pushing techniques. Um, All of these things together um, can help reduce the risk. Of course, we cannot guarantee that you won't have a tear, but the hope is that it won't be um, as large um, or, you know, the, obviously the hope being that you don't tear at all. Um, so we're just trying to do everything we can in preparation to try to reduce those uh, those risks. And then finally, um, importantly, like, you know, if these issues go on um, unaddressed, you know, 51.3% of women in menopause um, report having sexual pain, right? Um, You know, so we really want to be addressing these issues because, you know, I sort of look at uh, childbirth um, and pregnancy sort of being like our first sort of big major um, event that can change the pelvic floor, um, And then menopause being kind of like the next event that we're going to sort of go through where we will experience some other changes uh, to our pelvic floor. And so if we can prepare knowing that later on there's going to be this next phase of our lives, this next transition where we may experience pelvic floor issues. But if we've been preparing and we've been active and we are taking care of our pelvic floors, perhaps this second you know, life transition um, won't be as um, impactful uh, negatively on our uh, quality of life. So, um, you know, a lot of women will, um, will say to me, but yeah, you know, I've been practicing my Kegels and, uh, you know, I I read how to do them and I've been practicing them and they don't seem to be helping. Um, And you know, and this is sort of where it comes in, why I feel so strongly about, you know, every every birthing individual deserves to have a pelvic floor physiotherapist because um, in, a, in a study, and again, one of those Cochrane review studies, so those big, you know, high 
uh, gold standard studies, they found that at least 30% of women could not perform a proper Kegel correctly on first attempt. Um, and I certainly see varying degrees um, of ability in the clinic to activate the pelvic floor, but it's so great when you can perform a Kegel and actually get feedback from a trained professional as to if you are performing it correctly, you know? And then you can kind of get to know, well, how strong is my pelvic floor? You know, what kind of endurance do I have? How fast can my pelvic floor activate? Um, and those are things that we go through um, in prenatal appointments so that you kind of know what your baseline is and then you have a comparison uh, for postpartum um, and you also get to know like, that you're doing those exercises correctly. And it's also not just about the Kegels. So there's so many, so many different pieces and, and, and it, it, I, I, I sort of smile because I'll, you know, I'll have women coming in and they're like, I didn't realize there was so much to like optimizing my Kegel. Um, and so these are all things that we, we go through um, in prenatal appointments and certainly in postpartum uh, follow-ups. So after I've taken all of this information and I've been working with the pregnancy population and obviously having gone through my own pregnancy and my own postpartum recovery, you know, I know that pelvic floor physiotherapy works. I know that exercise um, really helps uh, to help us get through um, and manage and resolve uh, these various issues um, that we might experience. And so I've taken all that information, I've taken my personal experience, and then I've looked at further research, and I've sort of put them together into a protocol where I um, can help women in pregnancy sort of address all of the different factors um, to help ensure um, that they have a positive uh, pregnancy experience and that they're sort of prepared for what comes afterwards. Um, and so here are kinds of the things that I've included in, um, in this pregnancy protocol. So first and foremost, we always start with education, right? Knowledge is power. Um, you know, we need to understand our anatomy. We need to understand, you know, how these muscles work and how they work with our breathing, with our, you know, abdominal muscles, our low back muscles. You know, I like to educate on what to expect so that, you know, I don't have women coming back and being like, why didn't anybody tell me? So I, I try to address as many uh, of those things um, in these sessions. Um, you know, if there is a problem such as pain or urinary leakage, we can discuss more in detail, like why that's happening for you. And then, um, you know, we talk about pain. Um, I try to um, really help my birthing individuals um, understand what pain is, how it works in the body, what purpose it serves, um, because a lot of people have fears around, you know, is it going to hurt? Is labor going to hurt? Is birth going to hurt? You know, what does the pain postpartum mean? And so we, you know, we talk about, you know, red flags, things that you want to look out for that might indicate a problem. Um, but not all pain means that there is something harmful happening. So we kind of 
work through these concepts. And again, it's about building your confidence, reducing your fears, and um, helping you feel prepared for this um, life transition. So education, education, lots of education in this protocol. Um, relaxation. Um, both of, you know, body, um, but also the pelvic floor. So the pelvic floor muscles, like most people think, well, I need to be strong, I need to squeeze, I need to squeeze, I need to squeeze. Um, but the pelvic floor needs to be flexible and it needs to be able to move through its full range of motion to optimize its strength, right? Like you wouldn't do a bicep curl, uh, you wouldn't work out your biceps with your arm completely flexed, right? You would extend your elbow and then flex um, the bicep, right? So that, that optimizes that the entire muscle group is working. So similarly with pelvic floor relaxation, we wanna help that pelvic floor move through its full range of motion to optimize strengthening and endurance, um, but also to learn how to relax the pelvic floor with some unpleasant sensation. So I, I um, teach you how to relax with perineal stretching and massage so that you can train the body to be more calm and relaxed with these um, various sensations that you might experience during labor and birthing. And of course, if we can help you keep that pelvic floor relaxed, certainly, you know, that may reduce some of the risk of tearing, right? Like you don't wanna be squeezing your pelvic floor while a baby's trying to pass through, right? And if you're not sure, like sometimes I'll say to women, okay, you know, show me how you bear down to have a bowel movement and they squeeze. And I go, did you feel that? Did, did you feel like, what did that feel like? And they're like, oh, I didn't, it didn't feel like squeezing. And I was like, you know, it's definitely squeezing, right? So we definitely wanna tease out, um, these different movement patterns and sensations to help you prepare for that labor and delivery. So we teach you how to relax the pelvic floor. We talk about how to keep the body relaxed um, through that process. Um, and then of course, you know, we're talking about activation. So how do we activate the pelvic floor? Um, did you know there's different areas of the pelvic floor? So oftentimes what I will see when I'm assessing is women are really, really good at squeezing through the anus, right? Um, because that's where a lot of the muscle bulk is. And so they'll be like, that, that this is my Kegel. Um, but then when I try to get them to kind of focus in on the front of the pelvic floor, you know, the area around the bladder and the area around the urethra, a lot of them have difficulty locating and activating, you know, the front part of the pelvic floor. So, um, you know, it's a diaphragm. It's it's sort of like a semi semi oval, um, and you know we need to go over how to activate these different areas of our pelvic floor. So we go through that um, within the protocol, and I also teach you like how to use your breath and posture to optimize the movement of your pelvic floor. Um, there are specific exercises that are built into this protocol to help with low back pain and pelvic girdle pain, um, which are the most commonly reported types of pain during pregnancies, uh, low back and um, through the pelvis. Um, and there's some really great exercises that can help you address that pain. Um, like I mentioned, during my pregnancy, um, 
I would experience uh, pain in the front of my pubic bone, as well as um, one-sided uh, pain in the pelvis in the back. And this would happen when I was like trying to put my pants on. So anytime I had to like lift one leg, um, I would feel that pain. Sometimes with stairs, sometimes pain while I was like turning in bed or trying to get out of the bed, you know, like, or even in and out of the car, right? Because I have to lift one leg, take one leg outside of the car, and then, you know, the second leg moves. Um, so it was these weight transfer activities that I would find really uncomfortable um, during my pregnancy. And, you know, I knew the exercises because I had, you know, taken training and, um, pregnancy courses. And so I was able to apply those exercises and like within a week, boom, pain was gone. It was awesome. Um, and I want you to feel that awesome too. Um, and another, uh, thing that I experienced, um, during my pregnancy was also like buttocks pain that was kind of like radiating down my leg. Um, and I experienced this a little bit more postpartum, um, than I did during pregnancy, but it was certainly there. So sort of like sciatica type of pain and discomfort. And again, um, I knew what to do and I did the exercises and I, and I did what I needed to do and was able to resolve that pain uh, relatively quickly. So, um, so those exercises are included in this protocol approach um, if you're experiencing uh, pain and discomfort. Uh, and then another part of the protocol is to prepare the perineum. So I sort of mentioned to you um, perineal stretching, perineal massage techniques um, to help you prepare the area. So we kind of go over those um, also different pushing techniques. There is definitely more than one way to push. And so we go over these various techniques, uh, obviously in practice. So, you know, when you're sort of in the situation, it's really difficult to um, think about what to do. So a really important aspect is the practice, the consistency and the practice of these techniques so that it almost becomes second nature. So that like when you're in the midst of it, your preparation um, will kick in, your memory will kick in, and you, you won't have to think um, so much about how to do these techniques because you've practiced them. Um, and then we obviously talk about, you know, early postpartum recovery, um, what exercises are safe in the early uh, phases. Um, then we talk about the six week um, postpartum checkup where we basically reevaluate, um, you know, what's happened, where the pelvic floor is at, and then begin to work on optimization or of course if there's an issue such as urinary leakage or um, pain we then uh, begin to address those issues um, and so i've also included um, as part of this protocol i've designed like sort of a six week um, postpartum exercise program that um, i have my kinesi my registered kinesiologist kinesiologist um, take you through. So basically like safe early uh, postpartum exercises that then become a little bit more challenging as the weeks progress um, to sort of help you move toward um, getting back to um, regular day-to-day -day activities and of course prepare you back for fitness. Um, so certainly that doesn't start right away six weeks postpartum. Um, 
we usually decide when is a good time after we've done that uh, six-week postpartum check uh, to decide when's a good time to start that program. So I've included that because one thing I know is that if you want to see results, you have to do the exercise. Um, and I always find it's a little bit easier when you have somebody guiding you through the process. And you know, when you book the appointment, there's that you know accountability to show up, and of course the consistency. Um, but also building your confidence that you are able to perform those exercises correctly, so that you can then continue doing those exercises at home. So that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today um, is just, you know, what to expect and why I'm so passionate about this and, you know, and, and let you know that, we, you know, we're launching this um, pregnancy protocol in clinic and I'm certainly working currently on um, making a online do-it-yourself version. Um, so that's currently under construction, um, but the program in person is up and running. So if you would like to learn more information um, or if you wanna you know, start the program, uh, you can send me an email. So um, my email is m as in Mary, G as in good, and that's at ecophysio.com. So E-C-O-P-H-Y-S-I-O.com. And I will put my email um, in the show notes so it's easily accessible. So once again, it's mg at ecophysio.com. I had to shorten, shorten it because my first name is so long um, and spelled uniquely. I figured, you know what, let me just make a really easy email. <laughs> so I will post that into the show notes um, and you can send me a message anytime uh, to get more information. And of course, closing off the podcast with, if you know anybody who is currently pregnant um, or is trying to get pregnant, uh, maybe you can share this podcast with them because um, you never know uh, how um, well you just never know if they're experiencing symptoms or may experience symptoms or want to be proactive so giving them uh, the information uh, can be really really helpful and if you haven't subscribed to the podcast make sure you do subscribe so that you have access to the latest and greatest episodes and I just want to thank you all for listening and supporting this podcast. Uh, I'm very, very grateful. And that's it. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.